pray. There are two kinds of teaching, Father. The one that the one that I can do with my mouth and the one that I can do with my heart and the one that you can do. And that's the one we're desperate for. I ask you, Father, to come and grant that you would teach through me. Because if you don't become our teacher, nobody will be drawn to Christ. No Christian will be drawn closer to Christ and no unbeliever will be drawn to Christ if they only hear my teaching. So come, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Whenever we begin to focus in on the particular work of God to overcome the rebellion of particular people and draw particular people to the Son, we desperately need to keep in view. We must never, ever forget God's global purposes, God's universal offer to save anyone who believes. For example, John 2.19, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. John 4.42, we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. John 6.33, the bread of God is the one that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So every time we begin to focus in on God's particular work, God's doing something specific for a specific person to get them to the Son, we must never, ever neglect this larger scope. It's all over the Gospel of John. God is not parochial. Jesus is not a tribal deity. Christianity is a global faith. Cuts across all races, all ethnicities, all socioeconomic levels, all educational levels. It's global. It's universal. Let's just bullet this so that you feel the force of this. Whoever believes in him will have eternal life. 315. Whoever believes in him shall not perish. 316. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. 318. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. 336. Whoever hears my word and believes has eternal life. 524. Whoever believes me shall never thirst. 635. Whoever comes to me I will never cast out. 637. Whoever believes has eternal life. 647. Whoever feeds on this bread will never die but live forever. 658. Whoever believes in me out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. 738. Whoever believes in me will not remain in darkness. 
Christians should lavishly offer the gospel to everybody, everywhere, all the time, and say, whoever wills can have it. Whoever believes will be saved. Whoever comes may eat. Whoever is thirsty, let him drink. We should be the most lavishly offering people. We should be filling Minneapolis and St. Paul with the doctrines of Christ. Just like in Acts 5.28, they were taken to jail because you've filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Amen. May we go to jail for such a thing. You've just filled this city with your teaching. You just talk and talk and talk and everybody's talking about this. Wouldn't that be wonderful? We should be the most lavish offerers of free grace on the planet. That is what we must never forget when we begin to take up a text like John 6:44 which talks about a very particular work of God the work by which you were saved it's an awesome thing that we are sent into the whole world with the greatest news in the world, namely the free offer that whoever believes on Christ will be saved. And it's an awesome thing that as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. It's an awesome thing that God commands all people everywhere to repent. And it's an awesome thing that God grants repentance to whom he will. It's an awesome thing that God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And it's an awesome thing that he decisively draws particular people to the truth. So that was our focus last time. John 6, 44. If you want to look at it. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And I gave five reasons last time for why that does not mean, and he draws everybody partway, and then decisively leaves the final, decisive impulse to be created by you. That's not what it means. That's not what happened to you. And I want you to give God glory for what happened to you. What happened to you was that God provided the decisive impulse that brought you to himself. And he will, at the last day, get the glory for your salvation. That's where we ended. And I mentioned that there was a major objection to that from John. So what I want to do in this message is two things. One, take up that objection. And then two, ask the very practical question, 
How does God do this drawing and get the answer from verse 45 and 46? How does God draw? But first, the objection. Turn with me to John chapter 12, verse 32. John 12, 32. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up, this is Jesus talking, from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Now the word draw here in 32 is exactly the same word as draw in 644. In 644, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And in John 12, 32, Jesus says, I will draw all people to myself. Same word. So John 6.44 teaches, teaches, I argued last time, that the Father draws people triumphantly to the Son. And all that he draws come because the drawing is decisive. It's sovereign. And John 12.32 teaches that Jesus draws, his, draws all to himself and all don't come. How do those fit together? There are at least two ways to go about fitting them together. One is to say that what the word draw really means is less than decisive drawing and that God does it to everybody. He gives them a boost out of their depravity. He gives them a a start. Everybody on the planet gets this kind of grace, a beckoning, a wooing, an inviting, and an initial liberating boost toward faith, and then waits to see if individuals will maximize that boost and finish it. And therefore, there's no contradiction. If that's what it means in 644, and that's what it means in 1232, then 1232 can be he calls everybody or draws everybody, and clearly everybody doesn't come because the drawing isn't decisive. And you have to go back and and reject my interpretation from last week. And all those five reasons weren't sufficient. That's one way to go about it, and, and it's a very, very common way. I would say the most common way in the world. Because very, um, very few evangelicals grow up, I don't think, taking John 6.44 as seriously as I tried to last week. Here's another way to solve the apparent tension between the two. Namely, the all here means all the sheep, all my sheep, all the children of God all those who are of God, all those who are of the truth. So let me try to defend that possibility. First, the word all is just all. 
There's no word people with it in the original. It's just all. Masculine, all. And so literally it's, when I'm lifted up, I'll draw all to myself. And the question is, all what? Now we can go to several contexts and see this all defined pretty clearly. The closest one, and very interesting one, is in the immediately preceding chapter. So go with me to 1150 to 52. John 11, verses 50 to 52. You may remember this text. It's Caiaphas, the high priest, and he is speaking under the influence of God and speaking more truly than he knows, John says. He doesn't like Jesus at all, and he's speaking amazingly true things about him here. So let's read verses 50 to 52, and you be thinking now, okay, when Jesus is lifted up on the cross to do a saving work by his death, who are the all that he draws to himself? Is it absolutely everybody, or is it a decisive calling of certain groups? That's what you should ask about this text. Nor do you understand, this is Caiaphas talking now, nor do you understand that it is better for you, you Jewish leaders, for you that one man should die for the people. In other words, get this Jesus dead so the Romans won't come and and destroy our people. One man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord. This is John commenting now. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Hmm. So why did he die? Yes, for Jews, but don't lock Jesus into a tribal deity here. Not for Jews only, but... And then the way he says it is just striking. He died to gather into one all the children of God scattered abroad. Well, who who would that be? That's the people that God has chosen for adoption. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. They're scattered all over the place. They're the, they're the people that Jesus was referring to in Acts 18.10 when he came to Paul in the middle of the night. He said, don't be afraid, Paul, but keep on preaching because I have many people in this city. What do you mean by that? I've I got children of God here. I've got sheep here. I've got elect here. You open your mouth and preach, the sheep hear my voice, and they come. So the scope of the death of Jesus here is to gather into one all the the children of God. Now, if that's a, a fair parallel with 1232, then you go back and you read, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all the children of God to myself. It's, it's at least as textually warranted as all people. In fact, I don't think there's any textual warrant in the Gospel of John for drawing every human being to the Lord like 644 
is talking. Or you could say, I will draw all my sheep. Because Jesus says in 1027 or 1015, I lay down my life for the sheep. 1027, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. So when I'm lifted up, my sheep hear my voice. They know me, they come. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Or you could say, all who are of the truth. John 18, 37. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Or you could say, all who are of God. John 8, 47. Whoever is of God hears the words of God when they're called. Or you could say, I will draw all that the Father gives me. John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. In other words, running straight through this gospel from beginning to end is the truth that the Father and the Son decisively draw a people out of darkness into light. And Christ died for this people. And when he is lifted up, they will come. Our job is to lift him up. The lifting up in this text is to be put on a cross And when he's lifted up from the earth and put on a cross so that all can see, he will be seen and he will be powerful in the lives of those who don't see him as foolishness. Remember that from 1 Corinthians 2? Jews demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Foolishness to the Jews. Stumbling foolishness to the Gentiles, stumbling block to the Jews, but to those who are called the power of God. And the call is decisive. It causes people to see him as beautiful. That's my God hanging there. Remember Thomas? I don't need to touch you, my Lord and my God. God did that for Thomas. So my answer to the objection is that 1232 when it says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all to myself, means all the children of God, all the sheep, all those who are of God, all those who are of the truth, all those whom God has appointed to eternal life are decisively drawn to the Son. And that's what we should be doing every day, filling this city with that placarding of Jesus Christ. It's God's business to save sinners. It's our business to boldly proclaim the gospel everywhere all the time and say whosoever wills may come. Come, come, come. And those whom God chooses to bring, he will bring. That's not our business. That's God's business. Now, my other question here is, so how does he do that? What's that like? What what does he do in here? How did you get saved? This is so important for believers. I I frankly believe the gospel of John is written for believers. I know it says at the end in in 2031, these things are written that you may believe. Present tense ongoing. Because there's just so so many places in this book that talk about false faith. He didn't give himself to them when they believed because he knew what was in man. That's like, who's that addressed to? 
me, lest I get puffy and think I've got this figured out. You know, I've, I'm, I'm, the, I'm in instead of saying, oh, God, protect me. Oh, God, keep me. Draw me daily to you. It's you who keeps. It's you who saved. It's you who keeps. So I hope all you believers are asking the question, okay, I want to know myself here. I want to know what happened to me. When I was six, I don't even remember it, right? Or 14, or 24, or 60, I want to know what happened to me. I have a teeny little idea of how I got saved. I've been given categories, and half of them are wrong. I just want to know what God did for me, and that's what the rest of this sermon is about. And and unbelievers in the crowd, super glad you're here, and I hope that as I speak, God will awaken and do what I'm describing right now. So let's read verses 45 to 47. Start 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So we're trying to unpack what that means. What happened? Words, words, words. I want to know what happened. What's it like? What goes on inside when, when that drawing happens? And I will raise him up on the last day next It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone, and I think this confirms, by the way, the solution I offered to the objection in John 12, 32. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. In other words, the taught. Come. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. We're just trying to figure out here, how did I come to believe? How did I come to believe? How did I get drawn? What was it like, Lord? So that I can praise you. So that I can enjoy the solidity and security of it. So that I can understand the role of Jesus in it. And the Spirit in it. And the Father in it. And the Trinity gets praise from my life. As long as I have breath for what you did in my life. John's answer to the question, how the Father draws, is by saying, God teaches them. God teaches them. No one comes to me unless the Father draws him. It is written as, and they will all be taught of God. See the connection? No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. It's written. They'll all be taught. And all the taught are drawn. The connection between being taught and coming to Christ is unbreakable. No one is taught and then decides not to come. And we know that because of verse 45, last half of the verse. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. 
all of them come. So he's got three phrases to describe what happens. Number one, being taught. Number two, hearing from God. Number three, learning from God. All right there in verse 45. They will be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. How does that happen? What's that like? How did it happen to you? Can you, can you point to some experience where you say, yeah, that, that's what the Father did. That's what the Father did. That's why I came. That's why I believed at, at Billy Graham or at my mom's knee or reading my Bible as a sophomore in college or, yes, that's what he did. Or is this, is this a new idea to you? Taught of God is, is how I was drawn. And if it's new, which I suppose it is for most of you, then just drink. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. This is a totally effective teaching. No school dropouts. None. Everybody graduates into a saving relationship with Jesus. That's how effective this teaching is. Not all teaching. My teaching surely isn't that effective. But when God undertakes to draw by teaching, they come. And we need to figure that out. So what does he do? He quotes Isaiah 54, 13. It goes like this. I'm still here in verse 45. It is written in the prophets. Plural. And then he quotes Isaiah. And they will all be taught by God as an explanation of drawn people come. I think it's plural here because this quote, all will be taught, all the sons of Israel will be taught, is a new covenant quotation. And the new covenant is most clearly laid out in Jeremiah 31, also in Ezekiel 11, also in Ezekiel 36. I just read pieces of in Hosea in my devotions this morning. It's all over the prophets, the new plan. The law did not do it all, right? We need a new plan. It's not plan B, it's all plan A. <clears throat> and the law was always pointing this way. Go there. So the new covenant, which we celebrated at the Lord's table, is the blood-bought work of God inside us with a new teaching that's in here, not out there. It might be helpful to read the clearest explicit statement of the new covenant in the Old Testament, namely Jeremiah 31, so that you can hear the link with Isaiah 54, 13, quoted here in verse 55. So listen. This is the new covenant. This is Jeremiah 31, 31. This is the new covenant that I will make. I will put my law, my instruction, Torah, instruction, in them. 
My teaching goes in them. And I will write it on their hearts. It used to be written on stone. Came at me from outside. Had very little effect on me except to make me mad or guilty or shamed or rebellious. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother saying, Know the Lord, know the Lord, for they will all know me. All of them. This is the all of verse 45. All of them will know me from the least to the greatest. So, how does God teach rebel, blind, dead people not the least interested in Jesus Christ in such a way that they come? First thing he does is send the Son of God into the world. And oh, we're there time to unpack how Jesus is the God-taught one and the teaching of God par excellence. Embodying everything God has to say, he is the last decisive teaching word of God. So there he is. Of course, we're looking at him and, and, and hating him, killing him. So that's the start. That's the start of the teaching. There it is. The whole curriculum, there it is, standing in front of you. That's step one. And then, God the Father, through the Spirit, moves on hearts. And what does he do? It says he teaches them. Well, Jeremiah... He writes the Torah, the instruction, the teaching on their heart. The whole thing is about Jesus. We saw that a few weeks ago. And as they begin to have an internalization of external revelation, it's starting to click. Eyes are starting to go open. Scales are starting to fall off. Calluses are being cut away and suddenly the cross is no longer foolishness or a stumbling block. It's power. It's beauty. It's everything I ever need or dreamed of. And the one hanging on it is my king, my lord, my God. It's over. I'm home. That's, that's the way people get saved. There's objective external teaching in Jesus and in the Bible and right now coming out of my mouth. And then, oh God, please, God shows up in this room and teaches you. I can't save anybody. I can point. There he is. He is so great. And his, his, his work is so tailor-made to your need. There he is. Come, go, see, eat, drink, believe, receive. And you walk out and just go to your computer again. Nothing. Unless God does this. Let's be a little more specific. How does he do it? I want to bore in a little further. I want to see, you got any more to say, Jesus, about that, that subjective part? I, I get it that the Bible's out there, John's preaching is out there, Jesus mainly is out there, and in here, 
I'm not feeling it. I'm not seeing it. I'm not desiring to come. What, what, what do you need to do? Go with me to chapter 7, verse 16. So here, I believe, is one description of what it means that the Father teaches inside. This is so different from me teaching right now, okay? The inside teaching is different. What is it? I mean, is it a voice? No, it's not a voice. God is not going to whisper to you new information besides what's in this book. If you get new information about being saved that's not in this book, you're in trouble. You're listening to a wrong voice. Sects happen that way. That's S-E-C-T-S. Let's read this. This is so dynamite. I saw this in college and it just shook me up really profoundly. I was such a heady guy. Still am, I suppose. But man, oh man, I got heart help from this. So Jesus, this is John seven sixteen. So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. That's astonishing. If your will is bad, there are things you can't know. If your heart is insubordinate, there are things your head can't comprehend. You see that? If anyone's will is compliant, supple, moving, in sync with God's will, if you've got a will that's melted, broken from its rebellion, not stiffening your neck anymore, but saying, whatever you say, almighty God, I'm, I'm not trying to be God anymore. I'm done with being God. My will, however this happens, I'm bringing into line with the divine will because it's history for me if I stay in rebellion. When that happens, this says, he whose will is to do God's will, he will know. Isn't that an amazing relationship between willing and knowing? That's what blew me away as a, as a junior at Wheaton. I said, oh, God. study is not, is not the key. Humility is the key. Submission is the key. Yieldedness is the key. In philosophy, math. I mean, you can probably be a good mathematician and be rebellious, but you won't see to the bottom of math where it came from or where it's going. It's pretty revolutionary for your head to be humbled and know it's getting nowhere fast 
without your heart. So I think a key answer to the question, how do you do this, Father? How do you, how do you enable me to see? How do you teach me that Jesus is my God? Jesus is true. What Jesus is, he is from you. He is you. How do you teach me that? And this text says, your will, your will has got to become compliant, humble, broken, meek, underneath. It's got to go down and just give up, and you'll see. So I assume that's what he does for me. I think that's the main work of the Holy Spirit in our day in getting people saved. When I preach here, I probably, I probably make people bristle. They just stiffen their neck and want to get out of here. That's what would happen if I'm just left to me. Because I can't do that to the will. And if I did it, it'd just be me. It wouldn't be divine. It wouldn't be spiritual. But if, if my lifting up Christ, if my trying to bore into the ways of God could be taken by the Holy Spirit and in mysterious ways break a will, humble a will, sweeten a will, make gentle a will. Unless you turn to become like children, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And it doesn't mean rebellious children. I mean, we think about children, oh, they're so rebellious, especially two years old or four years old, fearsome fours. No, 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 no. Children are just right there with mommy and daddy. They love to be hugged. They just, they're, just, they're not trying to put on a show. They just want to play with mommy and daddy. Give you one or two other examples and we'll close. Do you remember when Peter or Jesus said to, to the disciples, Who do men say that I am? Remember that, Matthew 16? Who do men say that I am? And Peter, bold, brave, often putting his foot in his mouth, said, got it right this time, and we'll find out why. You are the Christ. Messiah, son of the living God. And you remember what Jesus said? Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. What's that? That's this. You've been taught of God. That's why you saw me. You've been taught of God. Your will, as, as, as rebellious and problematic as you're going to be for the next 20 years, your will has been brought fundamentally into sync with God's and your eyes were opened and you've seen I'm the Messiah, I'm the Son of God. And you've got more to learn. We all do, right? Nobody's all the way there. So how were you drawn to Christ? You were drawn by being taught by God. Inwardly. And how were you taught inwardly? Not new information, but rather a deep, profound work of changing your disposition, your will, your hardness. It was, it was broken up into pieces, or you could use another analogy, it was just melted. Whatever, whatever works for you, it's no longer that stiff, I will do it my own way kind of will, but either what? Ever God wills, I will. And when that happens, the truth that is objective, Christ, namely the sum of all truth, is seen for who he really is. 
And when you see him for who he really is, he is irresistibly attractive. That's what it means to see him for who he really is. And you come, and like I've said over and over, you come freely for the first time in your life. Because you're free. Your will is not enslaved to the devil and to the flesh and to sin anymore. It's been freed by the teaching of God within. So again, our job is to fill this city with our teaching to put Christ on display every day in our action and especially in our words since actions are so super high-powered, ambiguous, and words are clear. May God grant us humbling and teaching and drawing to Christ in these days. Let's pray. So, Father in heaven, I do thank you that at a point in my life, and I see several key points, you came in and I, I still need more, Lord. I'm not, a, I'm not a humble man to the degree that I need to be. So I invite you to reveal more, to humble more, to break will more, and to thus reveal more of Christ. And thus draw me, draw us as a people to your Son. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.